Thanks for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. Good morning. You guys feeling good? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Landon Hargrove. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at Oasis City Church, and it's an honor to have you in the room. If it's your first time with us, maybe you're visiting, just checking this thing out, and uh, I know there's a lot of choices in the valley, so super honored that you chose to come and worship with us this morning. It really is an honor. And speaking of choices, we live in a crazy world that has many, many choices. It's kind of wild when you start to think about it. You know, now, I mean, let's just fast forward, or like, let's rewind, actually. Let's go back maybe four or 500 years, something like that, right? The clothes that you had, you know, a few hundred years ago were the clothes that either your, your family saved up and bought for you as the one or two outfits. Maybe, you're, maybe they were handmade, right? But it was just a few outfits in your closet, okay? Now we buy, we're going through based on just the closet size, okay? We're like, we're like, hey, I need a bigger closet, so we need a new house. And so we're going through, and, and we even have seasonal clothes now. Like, that's the kind of choices we got. It's like, ladies, I already know you're ready for spring, right? You got all your spring clothes. You got a spring dress hung up for Easter next weekend already. Like, it's just like you're ready for spring. You're ready for summer. And it's so funny how we get, uh, we we just get inundated with these choices. We have, not only do we have seasonal collections of clothing now, right? We have boxes in the garage of clothes. But then we throw them away every year and buy more. Like, that's just where we're at in culture. But another example, let's just look uh, at one more. Uh, The Model T came out in 1908. The Model T, this car, came out in 1908. Henry Ford wanted the Model T to be affordable, dependable, uh, something that was easy to operate. Uh, at this time, really cars were, were only for like the elite. And so to have an automobile like that, it was, it was a big deal. And so Henry Ford had this idea that if he could make the Model T affordable and dependable and simple to operate, that he could mass produce this car and it really could be the first car on the market uh, that hits at that mass production level where it's accessible uh, to the average person. And so this vehicle was mass produced, right? He achieved his goal. Uh, but that used to be the car. So in 1910, 1915, you wanted a car what was the car you drove? You drove a Model T, okay? Like, that's what you had. Fast forward to today, we have over 400 makes and models across the world. And not only 400 models, but we have every color, every style, every trim. You can get it wrapped. You can get your face on the side of it. You can do whatever you want to do. And there's so many, there's un, like literally unending choices of different styles and trims and things you can do to these cars. Thousands and thousands of options. You know, in, in entertainment years ago, Entertainment used to be like a really good book. For some of you, it still is a really good book, okay? And that's cool. But it used to be like a really good book that you could just dive into a book that was entertainment. Maybe it was you get dressed up with your family and you go to the theater, right? And you, you watch a play, right? That, that used to be entertainment. Now, we carry around multi-million dollar productions in our pocket. Multi-million dollar productions, thousands of them at our fingertips. Choices, choices, choices. They, they are... Literally everywhere. You remember when ordering coffee used to be easy? It used to be like, hey, there's two options. There's regular or decaf and black or cream and sugar. Like that was coffee, okay? Now it's like applying for a bank loan, okay? Like you walk in and it's like, uh, what do you want? It's like, oh, well, what do you got? And they're like, well, we got soy milk, oat milk, almond milk. We got sugar-free. We got caramel foam. We got sea salt caramel. We got pumpkin spice, pumpkin foam, decaf, cold brew. Like, and they just go off on this list, and you're just like, what? I don't understand. They're like, we got vanilla. We got toasted vanilla. You're like, what's toasted vanilla? They're over here like with a flamethrower, you know. You don't sure, like, what's going on? It's wild. 
And I'm like, I just wanted a coffee. But now there's so many options. And some people will celebrate this as progress. They're like, yes, the market is expanding, providing more choices for consumers. This is, this is progress. This is good. It fits each person's taste. But others lament it for contributing to this idea or this problem uh, called the paradox of choice. Anyone ever heard of this? Uh, some people call it decision fatigue. But the idea of the paradox of choice is this. It's an observation that having many options to choose from, rather than making people happy and ensuring they get what they want, actually can cause stress and problematize decision making. And so having choices, really, friends, it is, it is a luxury to have choice. It, it's a luxury. But it can actually complicate our ability to make a decision. Now, why is that? Why is it that in the, the, the face of many, many options, it can actually become more difficult to make one single decision? Well, I believe it's this. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Because deciding requires a death. Deciding requires a death. And really, that's kind of the idea I'm going to talk from this morning. Deciding requires a death. So to decide, to say that, yes, I am dying to a vision to go choose this one particular thing, to decide requires a death. It, it requires a dying to a thousand different options. It, it requires the putting aside of a legion of possibilities to say, I'm going to pursue and choose just one thing. That, that's what it is requiring. So to decide, the root word in Latin here in decide is the root word uh, desidere, which means to cut off. To sever, to separate. And so all decisions that you and I make every single day will cut us off or separate us from really an infinite amount of other options as we choose to select just one single path. And so this morning, that's really the idea that we're going to look at as we kind of dive into the core scripture that we're going to find in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at it from this idea of to make a decision requires death, it requires cutting off, it requires choosing one path. And so if you would, open your Bibles with me. Matthew chapter 16. We're in verses 21 through 26. I'm reading out of the CSB version today. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. Listen, there's digital Bibles. They're awesome. If you don't have it, you should. Um, you can go to the Apple Store. You can download or the Google Play Store if you like that. Listen, we're still, you're still welcome here. You know, we're... In the name of Jesus, come out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but... <laughs> the spirit of Google. But... Um, you can go to your Apple Play Store, your Google Play Store, whatever, and download uh, the YouVersion Bible app. It's this awesome app that you can follow Bible plans, and eventually you'll be able to actually like literally participate with our church through the app. You can do plans with your small group. It's, it's awesome. So highly recommend downloading that, but you'll have the Bible at your fingertips wherever you go. But Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 21 through 26 of the CSB, it says, this. And we'll have it on the screens if you don't have one or you just refuse to download the app. Um, <laughs> chapter 16, verse 21, it says this. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and to be killed and raised on the third day. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Listen, step one, let me just, lesson number one. Don't rebuke Jesus. Don't do that. He's perfect. Don't, don't rebuke Jesus, okay? Okay, so Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Verse 23, Jesus turned and told Peter, listen, you don't want to hear this from Jesus, get 
behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your presence and your nearness this morning. Father, as we open your word and as we dive in, um, Lord, I just pray that you would begin to renew our minds, like it says in Romans. Lord, that by the, the washing of the word, God, that you would renew our minds, that you would regenerate us, that you would help us to live lives that are more in alignment with you. Father God, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come and have your way. God, whatever is of me in this message, would it fall away right now in the name of Jesus? Whatever is born of your spirit, would it resonate in our hearts and minds? Would it transform us from the inside out, Father? We are just so honored that we get to gather and worship you. It is truly, truly a privilege, and we count it as that, Lord. You are worthy of all honor, praise, glory forever. And so we just declare just together on this Palm Sunday, you are, you are holy and you are king. And we love you in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. 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 You see, in this text that we read just a moment ago, Peter was trying to keep Jesus from his very purpose. He rebukes him. He, he, he's saying, hey, this is effectively what Peter was trying to say. You can rule and be king without going to the cross. You don't need to be persecuted. You don't need to be rejected. You can live here. You can rule and be king without having to go to the cross. You can enjoy the pleasures of this world. You can just be with us and we'll stay here. It's going to be awesome. You don't have to go to the cross. That will never happen. Not, not only does Jesus rebuke him for this because he had to go to the cross, but he also explained that this temptation really is the reality of every person that wants to follow Jesus. There is going to be a time where the decisions you have to make are to decide that Jesus is who I'm following. You will come to a crossroads in your life where you are presented with an opportunity, where you're presented with the good news of the gospel, which is that Jesus came and he lived this perfect life and he died this sinless death so that you and I could be forgiven and made right with God. He, was, he went to the cross, but he was buried in the ground afterwards for three days, but rose on the third day victorious over death, hell, sin, and the grave. And because of that, we can put our faith into what Jesus has done, into what he's done for us so that we didn't have to pay that payment. And we can say that we are made right with God through this relationship with Jesus. He is the one that makes us right with God. He is the one that forgives us of our sin. This is the good news of the gospel. And so there's a point when you hear this, and you, you, there's this crossroads point when you come to understanding that you have to make a decision. Do I accept this? Do I believe that Jesus is my Lord? And if he really is my Lord, then the decision to follow him and to follow him in all his ways is not optional. It's not optional. And the longer that you live in this limbo of your decision-making, the more apathetic you'll, you'll become to actually walking with Jesus and walking in step and in plan uh, of his purpose. And so we have to wrestle through what this text is trying to tell us. And what, what it's really trying to say is Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow him. This is what he's effectively saying in this moment. Make a decision. Make a decision. Are you going to follow me? Are you going to decide to follow me? Make a decision because choosing to follow him means cutting off 
and separating yourself from following anything and anyone else. When you choose to follow Jesus, you do not get to follow anything else at the same time. Jesus is not something that you tote around with you. Jesus is who you pursue. And so we have to wrestle through this because it's, it's kind of like choosing a spouse, all right? So married people, you know this. Single people, let me just point it out to you. When you choose a spouse, you ain't supposed to be going to anyone else. When, when I chose Brooke and I made a decision, I said, hey, I'm choosing you to be my wife. I was effectively saying I am not choosing everyone else in the world. Every other option, every other potential partner, everybody else is now cut off from me because I am choosing a relationship with you. I'm choosing to pursue a covenant relationship with you, which means every other person, every other potential, every other opportunity, I am now separating myself from and saying, hey, there's no longer a lot of fish in the sea. It's you and me in a pool, okay? <laughs> like, that's it. And so we have to make that decision. I'm forsaking all other options. All other women are now off limits. I have died to other potential options as I've made a covenant with her. That, that is effectively, when we're following Jesus, the same thing. As Jesus tells us, as we follow him, to pick up our own cross, we are choosing to deny ourselves, to, to die to our flesh, our desires, our wants. We're dying to those things as we choose to follow Jesus. But for so many of us, we don't want to have to choose between Jesus and our idols. We want to have both. We get into these situations where we look at our idols, we're like, I want to bring it with us. Now, now, what is an idol, you might be asking. Maybe you're here, you're like, I don't know what an idol is. Let me just explain this. Timothy, uh, Tim Keller states in his book, Counterfeit Gods, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Watch this. And anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you is an idol. And so what is it for you? What is it that you won't let go of? that has become an idol in your life. It's different for all of us. Some of us, it's the idol of pleasure. It's chasing our own desires, our own pleasures, this idea of do as thy will. What, what do I want to do? What makes me happy? What fills my bucket? What means my needs? And it's all about you. Some people, it's the idol of comfortability, not wanting to be uncomfortable, not wanting to grow, wanting to stay sheltered, wanting to stay in this place of your faith just being you and Jesus, and it doesn't have to be anybody else. What is your idol? It, it might be your, your politics. It, it, it might be your success. It, it might be a love of money. But we all have these idols, and some of them obviously are, are more obvious than others. Work, self-image, material possessions, all these can easily slip into the place of idolatry where they consume our minds more than God. And so we see these things, but other things are more subtle. They're more deceptive, and they sneak in, and, and it's those things that we just give freely. Our love, our attention, our respect, and it's not God. Now, now hear me. There are five things that, that indisputably belong to God. And I want you to write these five things down because I believe these five things are questions that we can, they're things we can look at and there's questions we can ask from here that will help us to identify and see areas of our lives where we might have an idol. And so write these five things down. Five things that indisputably belong to God. Respect, love, confidence, reverence, and service. These are the five things that indisputably uh, belong to God when it comes to how we view him. And, and so if we look at these areas, we may start to see where we have an idol. And so we have to ask this question, 
what do you what do you respect? What do you respect? Because idolatry occurs when we excessively revere anything, including things that are good and rightful and lawful and true. Like like listen, not everything that's a good thing is a God thing. And so we have to realize that there are things that we can place that are good on the throne of our hearts, but Jesus is the only one that should sit on that throne. And so we have to be mindful of this because when it comes to uh, these ideas of these things that are maybe a good thing uh, but maybe aren't a God thing, uh, we just can't depend on them the way that we would depend on God. When we feel incapable of functioning without it, yet we feel totally fine functioning without God, that's a problem. And so we need to recognize that. The second thing is this. Uh, you can ask yourself this question. What do you love? See, idolatry happens when we become enamored with things that are created rather than the creator. And so we start to place this. And obviously, like, when we think of idols, a lot of us go back to, like, fifth grade and we think about some far-off place with something carved into wood and people bowed down to it. But that's not how it looks in our culture. In our culture, it could be... <laughs> Go in the mountains, and that could be your idol thing, you know. So whatever it is that gets in the way of you and your relationship with God, whatever becomes more important, whatever becomes more, you be, whatever you become obsessed with, whatever you give your love, your attention to, whatever you become addicted to, whatever you ex, you excessively pursue, lavish affection on, or or become excessively distraught if you lack them. Those are things that you can look at and say, maybe I have an idol. Third thing is this: what do you put your confidence in? So putting your confidence in humans, that's idolatry. If you look at a pastor or a leader and you hold them up as God, that's idolatry. We're all just people. Worship teams, people. Serving people, we're all just people. We're all people. And so we have to remember these things. And so Psalms 146.3 talks about, you know, how if we place our, our hope of protection or, or anything in princes or crowds or horses or armies, we are idolizing them. We, we can put all these things over God, and we can think that our protection comes from them, or our protection comes from this. Your protection comes from God. That's where your protection, he is your strong tower. He is your fortress. It comes from God. The fourth is this, what do you fear? Now, we may fear people or events more than we fear God. Now, fear, fear can make us sin, or, or at least stop us from doing what we ought to do. And so we have to recognize that in our lives that it can hold us back, either in little things or in very important things. But, but perfect love casts out all fear. And perfect love comes from the Father. Number five, what do you serve? You can ask yourself that. When we're brought under the power of anything to serve it, that is idolatry. So, so every person or every whim that we set out to please is an idol. And so even Paul speaks of this in Galatians. He says, man, if we're the servants of men, then we're not the servants of Christ. Like if we're more focused, if we're more fearful about what people think about us and how they'll respond to us and what they think about our faith, rather than what God thinks, that is an idol in your life. And so we have to learn how to recognize these things. And so we have to sit and we have to ask ourselves, and more than even asking ourselves, we need to ask God, God, what is an idol in my life? What have I created or what have I placed above you in my life? And let the Lord begin to work on you and begin to reveal to you and speak to you the areas that you're still holding on to something as you try to follow Jesus. Ask yourself, what is sitting on the throne of my heart?
And so as we follow Jesus and we say and we make the profession that he really is Lord. If we profess that, we say he really is Lord of our lives. As we obey all that he has commanded us, we are confronted with this reality that we must let our old selves die. Our old sinful We just talked about this with baptism, right? This idea that this, this, this old self, this old sinful name, we got to let that die. You don't just put it in the closet. <laughs> it has to die. It must be confronted. And this is what Jesus meant when he said in our text in Matthew 16, let him deny himself. Anyone who wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. The problem is, is in our modern day and age, in this faith that we have today, a lot of us, we just want to have it all. We think that, man, I can have Jesus and still have casual sex with whoever I want. We think that we can have Jesus and have envy. We think we can have Jesus and vanity, Jesus and control, Jesus and these different things in life that we refuse to let go of. And we think that we can have Jesus and just go to the bar and drink until we can't remember anything the next day. And we can just carry both in our lives. You can't have both. You just, you can't pursue both. Jesus and drugs, Jesus and getting drunk, Jesus and envy, these things, Jesus and sin. Listen, they do not go together. They don't. And so I want to be very clear with you. you. You cannot pursue both. And so it's telling you to decide in this text. When he says, pick up your cross and follow me, to deny yourself, to die to yourself. What is it really trying to say? It's saying that you cannot have both. You have to make a decision. And again, a decision means you are cutting yourself off. You're dying to other options. And so you have to choose to cut off these other things, these other fixes, the other medicators that you have uh, substituted for Jesus in your life. And you have to make a decision that the idols in my life I'm no longer going to hold on to. And when you do life, real life, vibrant life, the life that John 10, 10 talks about, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. The good life, the abundant life is only found in right relationship with Jesus. That's it. Now I want to be clear. Like when you choose to follow God, like listen, there are times, like if you're following Jesus, you keep following him. You don't follow Jesus and then pursue party and lifestyle. You don't follow Jesus and pursue having an adulterous affair. You don't follow Jesus and pursue again and again these things. That is not what it looks like to follow Jesus. That looks like following yourself. That's chasing your own desires. That's chasing pleasure. That's chasing comfort. That is the lie of the enemy, that Jesus is this thing that we tote along like a suitcase in our life that we can sit on. And if, we need to, if we're tired, we need a little rest or we just need a little break, that Jesus is right there to prop us up. Jesus is not a prop. He is everything. And he doesn't, we don't set the direction and bring him with us. We follow wherever he goes. If he goes left, we go left. If he goes right, we go right. And we look to the word to see the lifestyle that he lived. And that is our theological uh, picture of what we as Christians are to try to, to point our lives towards, to model ourselves after. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Again, he's pointing towards this picture of Jesus being the goal. We've said this many times. 
the goal of Christianity is not self-help. It's not to be a better version of me or a better version of you. It's to be more like Jesus in every area of your life. And it's the renewing of your mind. Not to be, oh man, it's renewed my mind in this kind of spiritual enlightenment way. No, no. It's renewing your mind because it becomes the mind of Christ. It becomes like him. And as you ask God to come into your life, as you choose to surrender your life to Jesus and make him Lord, as you accept the free gift of salvation, all of us get put in this place where we get to invite God to come and change our desires. And the Holy Spirit begins to work on us. And there's this process of sanctification that happens. And and there's this amazing thing where the Spirit of God begins to whisper and it begins to form you and chip away these parts of your heart that don't look like Jesus. And all of a sudden, you'll see these cravings that you had for the world. The cravings you had to just go out and get drunk. The cravings you had to go sleep around. The cravings that you had to do these things. or, Or the cravings that you had about control. All of a sudden, you'll see your hands start to loosen. And you'll watch as you don't crave those things anymore. And you crave knowing him you crave his word and you crave his presence and all of a sudden when you've experienced the goodness of God when you've tasted and seen that he is good that he is God the spirit of God regenerating you begins to change your cravings he begins to change what you want to being these other things to now just knowing him and walking in his ways because again listen the grace of god is not for us just to go run around and sin paul is very clear about this should we just sin so that grace may about no 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 it's the mercy of god that you and i don't get what we deserve for our sin for our brokenness for the things that we've chased no no it's the mercy of god that we don't have to face that because jesus came and paid that penalty for you but it's the grace of god that's offered to you that is the empowerment to live a lifestyle free of sin come on it says in romans you're no longer a slave galatians ephesians we see it again and again we're no longer slaves to sin we have the opportunity to lay aside these things, to die to sin and be made alive in Christ. That's Romans 6. We have a choice to make. But it's the grace of God that empowers you to live free of it, not to continue to live in it. You can't go north and south at the same time. You can't chase the spirit and the flesh. You will feed one and starve the other. And so we have to make decisions to deny ourselves to die to our flesh to surrendering everything and i'm telling you friends i want to be very clear here because sometimes we can in christian circles and churches we can hear this and maybe you've been in a church like this it's just like man follow jesus and oh man your whole life will change it's gonna be sunshine and rainbows it's gonna be awesome it's not true i'm sorry to tell you they lied to you i can tell you from experience being a christian and following jesus man it's not easy it's not easy. There's, there's times when you're going to face trials and tribulations, and Jesus said it. We're going to face storms. Look at James. He says, consider it all joy when you face trials of various, all these things. It's like, man, we're going to face them. We're going to have hard times. We're unfortunately going to experience pain. We're going to have hard times. It, it's not easy to follow Jesus. Denying yourself is not easy. Denying your flesh is not easy. Dying to yourself is not easy. Surrendering everything is not easy. Matthew chapter Paul's Peter and Andrew, 18 through 22, we see a story of Jesus coming to, to call disciples. And, and so he calls Peter and Andrew, and then he, uh, a little while later, he says this. He says, come and follow me. They're fishermen, right? They're out there fishing. And he says, hey, 
hey, I know you're fishing, but come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will, I will help teach you to fish for people. Now, this is a, a pattern that we see in scripture where Jesus takes something and he elevates it. Right, we see it again and again in scripture. You've heard it said, but I say to you. It's this idea of Jesus taking Old Testament concepts and elevating it. Well, even in this moment, we see Jesus offering the more of the Lord. This idea that Jesus comes to them and says, hey, you're fishing right now, but come and follow me and I will teach you how to fish for people. I will make you a fisher of men. I will take what you know and I will elevate it. It's again, this idea of elevate. You know, you've heard it said that do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've even looked at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus, again and again, is making these elevations. And so we see them, him offer this more. And they respond to this more, to this invitation. And they begin to follow Jesus. And a little while later, we see another two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, James, and John. And he calls them. And he says, hey, come and follow me. And they are sitting there. And the scripture said they're mending their nets. Okay, they're working on it. They're, they're, Jesus watching them as they faithfully just work. And, and they mend and they repair. And I think Jesus just went, man. I like that. And he calls them to follow him. And it says this, they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Now, now, we can, again, so often just read over these passages and just think that, oh, yeah, that's cool. They, they left it all behind and followed Jesus. No, 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 listen, they literally left it all behind. They, they literally made the decision to walk away from their livelihood from their financial legacy, from their comfortability, from their, from their jobs, what they knew. They walked away from their father. Listen, his father would have depended on them in this business. And they left these nets, this thing that represented their, their financial stability and, and their future. This is what would have held them back from following Jesus as he called them. And they dropped their nets. And they began to follow Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple means dropping your nets. It means dropping the things that we hold on to that would stop us from wholeheartedly following Jesus, being a devoted follower of Jesus. It means laying down our own plans, laying down our own will, laying down our own way, laying down all these things in our lives that we want to try to hold on to. It means leaving behind anything and everything that will wholeheartedly or that will stop us from wholeheartedly following Jesus. And for so many of us, it looks different. For some of you, it's a toxic relationship that you, you need to leave behind. And you're like, I, I just can't. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, they have a piece of my heart. I just, I, I can't get out of this thing. Y yeah, you, they have a piece of your heart because you slapped with them. <laughs> Some of us wonder why our hearts are pulled in a thousand different directions, and yet we've been so casual about our, our sexual lifestyle. And so we're like, man, I just feel, it's because it is. Your heart's literally being pulled in a thousand directions. You've tied yourself up to all these people, and now you're in this, this, this jangled mess, and you're wondering why you don't have peace. You're wondering why you don't have fulfillment. You're wondering why you're searching for value. Listen, listen. Your value does not come from him. Hear me, sister. Your value does not come from him. Man, your value does not come from another notch on your belt. Your value comes from heaven going bankrupt for you. The father loving you so much that he sent his only son to come and die. A death on the cross that we deserve so you didn't have to. You want to know what your value is? You look at Jesus. You don't need anyone else. 
my, my hustlers in the room, you don't need your boss's validation to tell you you're worth something. You don't need another promotion or another pay raise. Man, that'd be nice in the name of Jesus. But, <laughs> but you don't need that to be validated in your identity, in your worth, in who you are. God has already validated you. He has already called you worthy. He calls you son. He calls you daughter when you're in a relationship with Jesus. For some of us, maybe it's an addiction. It's drugs. It's drinking. It's this party lifestyle we talked about that's really just a cover-up. You know, we, we're like, oh, it's just the way I live life. Ah. But, but really, it's a cover-up. You're masking something. You're medicating something. There's a trauma. There's a pain. There's a value search that you're going for. And, and so you don't think it's that valuable. So you just, I'm just going to live like this. I'm going to party it up. We're going to live life. And yet you find yourself again and again in these situations where you find yourself more broken, more empty, less fulfilled every time you do it. Why is that? Because your fulfillment will never be found in these temporary pleasures. A short high, a quick buzz, you're not going to find fulfillment there. It's not at the bottom of the bottle. It's not where you're going to find healing. You might cover up the symptoms for a moment, but there's a big difference between treating symptoms and treating the root cause. The root cause is sin. The root cause of death and pain and destruction, it, it's sin. And only Jesus deals with sin. And we have to invite him in to deal with it. For others, it's simply fear. Maybe it's fear of what people will think if you go all in with Jesus. Man, maybe it's because you're not sure of what the social kind of contracts that you have around you. Maybe the circle that you run with isn't super welcoming to Christianity. Maybe if you come in as this believer that say, hey, I'm changing up my lifestyle. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to go to those places. Maybe if you're saying, hey, I'm not going to participate like that anymore. Maybe you're afraid of, of what that will do to you. Maybe you'll feel like you're going to be ostracized. Maybe you'll feel like, man, I'm just not going to blend in anymore. What, what if I go there and, and I'm not the one that's tossing back nine shots? What if you're not? What if your light, what if your life becomes a light and makes a difference in a dark place? What if the way that you live, and they're like, man, you really just going to only have one? It's like, yeah, I'm good. What, what if the way that you show self-control and restraint and you display the fruit of the Spirit begins to become a testimony to those around you that points to Christ? What if? So can I tell you something, friends? Jesus is worth it. He is worth your time. He's worth your attention. He's worth your affection. He is worth your focus. He is worth it. The pain, the troubles, the sacrifice, the name calling, the persecution. The, you really go, you believe in that Christian stuff? That sky daddy? Oh, you stupid man. You're in a, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Y'all, I've literally had someone call God sky daddy to me before. I'm not kidding you. I'm not even joking you. But here's the thing, and I've said this before too, but I want to say it again. What do you have to lose? Nothing. They have eternity to gain. They have hope to gain. They have life to gain. You have something that you can offer to them that no one else can offer, which is eternity with Jesus through a relationship with him. And so I would say this. You don't have anything to lose. Put your faith on display. Live a lifestyle that honors him because it's worth it. 
live your life in alignment with the way that he tells us to live. It's worth it. Not only, it's not just that it's sin. It's like, man, this just isn't God's best for your life either. Like, like you just, you want to live, God wants the best for you. Don't you, don't you want, parents, you want the best for your children. And when they pursue these things that are harmful to them, yeah, you're like, hey, that's, that's, that's dumb. But you're also like, you, you don't want them to be in pain. Sin is poison to your soul. Listen, if my kid got bit by a rattlesnake, the first thing I'm doing, I'm running to the hospital. I'm trying to get anti-venom. I'm trying to get it out of him as quick as possible. I'm not just like, man, I hope he's all right. I hope he makes it. It's like, but a lot of us, we, we can treat sin this way that we're just like, we have this kind of like, ah, just it is what it is attitude towards sin, but no, sin is poison to our souls. Repent quickly, get it out, get it gone. Listen, it is not easy to live this lifestyle. It's not easy to follow Jesus, but it is worth it. Why? He is our reward in the end. Jesus is is our reward. It's him. And so I'd just like to encourage you today, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, please make that decision today. Put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross because I promise you, it's not an easy life. You still were gonna face pain and I wish I could take that away for you. I really do. I wish you didn't have to go through pain. I wish you didn't have to face death and destruction in your life. I wish you didn't have to go through people with cancer and people with disease and I wish your loved ones wouldn't pass. I just wish you didn't have to walk through that pain and the betrayals and the heartbreaks. I don't want that for you, but it's gonna come. You're gonna face pain. You're going to face storms. You're going to face trials. You're going to have heartbreak. You're going to see death. Although you're going to see pain, though, you're going to see death. There's going to be cancer. There's going to be disturbance. There's going to be things that you face in your life. You're going to see people around you deal with these things. But when you follow Jesus, you can be assured and you can rest in the fact that the pain that you experience in this life It'll only be in this life. And in the life afterwards as we're in heaven with our heavenly father, with, when we're made right with God, we're, we're, we're living forever with him in heaven, we're going to be in a place where there is no more mourning, where there's no more grief, no more sadness, no more loss, no more pain, no more cancer, no more disease, no more struggle, no more temptation. You don't have to fight that anymore. We'll be regenerated. Our minds will be new. We'll no longer have a sin nature. It will be separated from us. The struggle that you face, the tension you wrestle with will be no more. And you'll have an opportunity to live forever with God. That is the promise of Christianity. It's not a promise of an easy life. It's the promise that in the next life, the eternal life. This life is but a vapor, a blip on a map. But we have eternity to look forward to in Jesus. And we can anchor our hearts and our souls in this promise of eternity through relationship with Jesus. It's a place. Heaven is a place that is so beyond our capacity to even fathom as a human being. It's so good. Forever with God. So I just encourage you, today is your day. If you've never made that decision, make that decision to follow Jesus, to accept this free gift of salvation. It's, it's not easy, but it is worth it. And to those of you that maybe are Christians in the room, can I speak to, to my believers in the room for just a moment? If you call yourself a believer, a, a disciple, a, a follower of Jesus, you say, hey, that's me. I identify in that way that I am a disciple. I would say I'm a follower of Jesus. But hey, if you're stuck in your faith, ask yourself where there may be an idol in your life. 
or maybe something that's starting to become an idol. Begin to wrestle through that with God and ask yourself, what am I holding on to? What's, what's my net? What things am I holding on to that Jesus is telling me, hey, come and follow me in this way? And you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to let that go. Ask yourself, what is it that I'm trying to pursue at the same time as pursuing Christ? What is the thing that's kind of stopping me from going all in for Jesus? Because the reality is, again, we have to decide. We have to die to other options. We have to die to ourselves in order to fully and rightly follow Jesus. We have to choose the narrow path. And so I would say this. Ask yourself these questions, believers. How are you growing in your relationship with Jesus? What steps are you taking? Are you surrounding yourself with other believers? Are you looking at someone whose faith is maybe further down the road than yours? Maybe you admire something about the faith that they have or the way that they live. Are you approaching them saying, hey, would you disciple me? Would you walk with me? Would you maybe just encourage me? Would you help me to read the Bible, understand it? Would you pray with me? Can we meet for coffee like once a week or maybe once a month or whatever it is for their skin? But approach someone that you're like, man, I love. I love the way they pray. I love the way they talk about God. I love the way they live. Man, I really appreciate that. About Approach them, ask them, say, hey, would you, would you meet with me? And maybe, maybe it's this, if you don't read your Bible already, maybe you come here on Sundays and this is your Bible reading time for the week. If that's true, no condemnation. Let me just say this, you're going to be malnourished. The Bible is sustenance and strength for the believer. If you only eat on Sunday, whew, it's gonna be rough for you the rest of the week. This is where we come and we, we corporately eat. We come together. We, we, we break open the Bible. We dive in. We find some applicable truths from a passage. But even this particular passage, Matthew 16, I don't have time to go into all the nuances of this particular passage. There's some things with Peter we could hit on. We could dive deeper into specifically what it means about dying. We could go really deep in this thing, but we just don't have time. But I would encourage you, go study for yourself. Study this passage. Break it out this week. Talk to somebody. Talk to people in your life. As we launch groups and we, uh, what we call crews here, in just a few weeks as we launch Rooted Crews, I want to encourage you, jump in. Don't be like, oh, don't do this for me. No, it's literally for you. Like we made this literally. These uh, can't say, oh, it's not for me because I literally thought about you as we designed these, created these, uh, you know, curated these groups. They're for you. So I'd encourage you. Plug in. Read your Bible. Let me, let me say this. There's actually a study from faithalone.org that talks about reading the Bible. It says this of reading the Bible four times a week. And I want to encourage you because some believers in here are saying, man, I, I want to let go of these things, but I just keep falling back in the same patterns and I just can't seem to let go of this. And, and I would just encourage you, how much are you in the Word? Because this study would point to this, believers. 57%, if you read the Bible four times a week, you are 57% less likely to go and get drunk. You are 68% less likely to have sex outside the covenant of marriage. You are 61% less likely to engage with pornography. You are 74% less likely to struggle with gambling. And I'm going to skip down to some things that you're more likely to do. Reading the Bible four times a week, you are 228% more likely to share your faith with others. Man, are you afraid? Are you afraid to share your faith? Read the Bible four times a week. Watch as a boldness wells up in you and the spirit of God begins to move through you. You will be compelled to share your faith. 231% more likely to spend time discipling others. To pour your life and what God's teaching you into other people. 231% more likely. Watch this. 
memorization of scripture. People read the Bible four times a week. They are 407% more likely to begin memorizing scripture. Reading the Bible four times a week. Listen, that's just four times a week carving out time. Imagine what it would do to you if you read it every day. Talk about renewing your mind. Watch as you begin to reprioritize your calendar, your schedule, your lifestyle around Jesus. Jesus is not a piece of the pie. It's not like, oh, I got family and I got this and I got God over here. No, no, God is the whole pie and everything else fits inside of him. Everything else is immersed in your relationship with God. Your relationship with God should inform how you love your family. Your relationship with God should inform how you go to work and how you interact with your coworkers. Your relationship with God should form your social circle and inform and speak into these areas. Your relationship with God should be the highest priority in your life. So please hear me, friends. Decide to follow Jesus. Cut off all other options. Die to all the other routes, all the other paths, because there is only one path that leads to relationship with God, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the narrow road. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to life. It's only Jesus. He is the only way to God. There is no other alternate route or path. There is no other way to be made right. There's no other way for salvation than a relationship with Jesus. And so cut off and cut out all the idols in your life. Paul says this, speaking of idol worship in his letter to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10.1. one, says, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and in the table of demons. It goes back to what we discussed earlier, this idea, this contradictory, this thing of you can't have both. In, in 1 John 2, we're told not to love the world or the things of the world because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And so I would just say this, it's again this dichotomy that's posed for us in Scripture again and again that we can't have both things. We can't pursue two things at the same time. You can have life or you can have death. You can have light or you can have darkness. For what fellowship does light have with darkness and unrighteousness with righteousness? They, they are contrary to each other. They are opposed to one another. You can't have both. They don't go together. They just don't. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so it's this, again, idea from Romans 6 that we are dead to sin, but we are made alive in Christ. That's the whole point of today, that we would make a decision to follow Jesus, that we would make a decision to be alive in Christ. And so today, to end service, I want to I encourage you to do something different with us this morning, and I want to do something we've not done as a church yet, and that's, um, we're going to take communion. So if you've got your little cup with you, I'm going to tell you when to take the bread, and I'm going to tell you when to uh, take uh, the cup, but if you need a cup, if you didn't get a communion, would you raise your hand, and we're going to pass it out to you. We've got one up here. Thank you, guys. A couple over here, a couple in the back over there. You can keep your hand up if you would like a communion cup, and we'll get it over to you. we got one over here as well. You know, last week, we we had water baptism. Now, water baptisms were powerful, were they not? Like, it was awesome. God moved. In baptism, we, we do something in the natural. 
we, we take this act of obedience in the natural, but there is something that's spiritual that happens at baptism. It is symbolic. It is symbolic of going down, the, the old man dying and being raised to life in Christ. It's a symbolic representation of that. But it's more than just symbolic. Come on, if you've been baptized, there's something spiritual that happens, right? Like it's more than just getting wet, okay? We're not just taking a soak. Like there's something spiritual that happens in this moment as much as there's something symbolic. And so it's the same thing that happens with communion. Communion is indeed symbolic, but it's also spiritual. It's symbolic of the broken body through the bread. So the bread you hold in your hands, this is symbolic of the broken body and the cup, the wine. This is the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. But something happens spiritually when we take communion. I want to read 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. It says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is the new cup of the covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so it's symbolic, but something spiritual happens too in these moments. There is a community in these moments. And we participate in this, this sacred act that the church has been doing since the time of Jesus the last supper it's amazing when we look back and so if you would would you just open the bread with me just take it in your hands hold the bread up for me what you hold in your hands is the testimony of the broken body of Jesus that was broken for you so you could be made when we hold this and it's broken and we break it and we we look at that it's to remind us of what Jesus did for us we think back to his body broken Isaiah 53 5 through 6 it says this but he was pierced for our rebellion he was crushed for our sins he was beaten so we could be made whole he was whipped so we could be healed all of us like sheep have strayed away we have left God's paths to follow our own yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, friends, we can hold this bread and we can look back at Isaiah and we can look at these passages and we can just thank God, by your stripes I'm healed. By your stripes I'm healed. And we can think about his body that was beaten for us, the the pain that he went through that we deserved. And we can look back at all these moments and we can remember that we are forgiven because he was forsaken. That we are set free because he was bound to the cross. And we can look back and and so would you just stand with me in this moment? Everyone across this room, would you stand? This is his body that was broken for you so you could be made whole. Father, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Would you take the bread together?
Jesus said of the wine, he said, this is the blood that was shed for you. This is his blood shed for you. This is what it represents. Shed for your freedom. Shed for your freedom. This is the blood that sets us free. And I, I love this. Another pastor that I, I like following and enjoy from time to time. He likes to, to say this as he takes communion. And I, I loved it. I'm going to steal it from him. Hold your cup up. As for me and my house, say that with me. We will serve the Lord. Now take 60 seconds and pray for your family. Pray for those in your family that don't know the Lord, that you want them to know. Take 60 seconds and do that. Pray for your kids. Pray that God would draw near to them right now. That he would always guide them and lead them. That he would help you to raise them in the way in which they should go. If there's a friend in your life that doesn't know the Lord, you want them to know the Lord, pray for, pray for them right now. If there's anyone in your life that you need to forgive, anyone you're not right with, They've offended you, they've hurt you, they've betrayed you, they've wronged you. Bring them to the forefront of your mind right now and forgive them as you have been forgiven by Jesus. Take the offense that you carry, the burden, the grudge. I want you to let it go right now and lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Let, let him take that from you. No longer do they live in your mind rent-free. No longer are you bound by unforgiveness. Let Jesus set you free this morning. Lay down the offense. Lay down the grudge. Lay down, lay down the pain. Forgive them right now, no matter what they did to you. What they did to you, this doesn't justify it. doesn't mean it's okay. It was wrong. But forgive them. Father, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us so that we could be forgiven. Lord, we thank you. Your word says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony, by our story. And our testimony this morning is that you came and died a death that we couldn't. You came and lived a life that we couldn't. Father, you raised from the dead so we could be raised to life with you. And you shed your blood. You didn't spill it. It wasn't an accident. You intentionally shed your blood on a cross. Blood that we deserve to have to pay. Father, we thank you for it. We thank you that through a right relationship with you, we can live eternally with you in heaven. That our hope is found in you. That our soul is anchored to you eternally. Father, we are grateful. And so we lift up this cup and we take this bread and God, we remember what you did on the cross. We remember how you set us free. We remember what you pulled us out from. And so Father, as we look towards Resurrection Sunday, Father, we just remember what you did on the cross. We remember the sacrifice you made. And God, we declare as a family, we are so grateful. Would you take the cup? Father, I pray you draw near to us this morning, even in these last few moments of worship. 
would you receive all the glory, honor, and power you deserve, God, with every is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is to come. We declare you are worthy of all praise and honor, God. Convict us of our lifestyles. Make us look like you. Chip away the pieces of our heart that are hardened, God. The pieces of us that want to chase our own pleasure and our own ways, God. Would you convict us? Would you guide us? Would you make us more like you? God, search our hearts like David declared, like the psalmist said, God, search our heart for any iniquity. Help us to follow you every day of our lives in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you love God, would you shout amen? Amen. Let's worship together. Thanks again for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, pray for you, or give you next steps on your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at oasiscity.church to get connected today.